0: Thanks for listening to the Lovejoy United podcast from Lovejoy United Presbyterian Church in Wood River, Illinois. We are a welcoming community of faithful disciples committed to filling Christ's example, joyfully serving through compassion, mission, justice, and all-inclusive grace. To learn more, go to our website, lovejoyupc.org. Our gospel reading today is from Luke's gospel, the second chapter. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. When the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it was written by the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised him, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, And for glory to your people Israel. And the father's and the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God, and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a certain kind of experience I've noticed in my life. And I imagine you've experienced something like it that I've taken to calling a Moses moment. These moments happen when you are heavily invested in a project or a hobby, especially one that you are enjoying and really believe in. But then in the thick of it, you come to the moment of realization when it becomes clear, you probably won't be the one to finish this project if it ever gets finished. Sometimes that moment doesn't deter you from your work and you keep on, but sometimes it really derails your energy and attention. Why would you work on something that you're not going to be able to complete? I call it a Moses moment because of the story of Moses leading God's people through the wilderness and into the promised land. Remember, the Exodus is Moses' lifetime project. Everything he does, the burning bush, let my people go, the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, leading God's people through the wilderness to the promised land. That is in his entire life's purpose. But if you remember the details of the story, you'll remember that when the Israelites arrive at the doorstep to the promised land, God allows Moses to see the promised land, but God does not allow Moses to enter it. Someone else. Joshua, Moses's assistant, will be the one to finally lead God's people into their new home. I had a major Moses moment when I was still serving my church up in Michigan. I was working on a project that was near and dear to my heart and true to my calling when all of a sudden I had a Moses moment. We were finding a date on the calendar for the event we were planning And all of a sudden, I realized that all the possible dates and times were actually after I would have moved to southern Illinois, where God had called me. Like all Moses moments, that was a bittersweet moment. On one hand, I could not have been more proud of the team of people who would see the project through to the very end. But I was also sad, sad that I wouldn't be there for its completion. I've heard from music teachers and baseball coaches about particular students they've loved teaching and coaching, but who have had a Moses moment where they realize that for their student to really grow into their full potential, they'd need a more advanced teacher. I've talked to grandparents who have had the Moses moment of realizing that they probably will not get the chance to see their youngest grandchild graduate from high school or walk down the aisle How bittersweet these Moses moments are. Our gospel reading today is a Moses moment of sorts, but a Moses moment that ought to change how we see moments like these, especially when it comes to projects of the faith that can seem totally insurmountable. Projects like when Jesus tells us to feed the whole world, to heal all the sick people, to live together totally in peace, I think when we look at those huge projects and problems, we can be faced with that Moses moment of realizing how little we can actually do, and we might even be deterred from doing it. This is the story of an old, even ancient man named Simeon. Many years before, Simeon had received a vision from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit said that Simeon would not die before seeing the Messiah. So Simeon lived well into old age, waiting to see this Messiah and to witness the salvation that he would bring to people who suffered under oppression. True to God's word, the Holy Spirit woke Simeon up one morning and led him to the temple. And we don't know what Simeon was expecting exactly to encounter there, but like a lot of Israel, waiting for messiah i suspect he was hoping to see some great warrior king swooping in on a chariot to rescue his people from their enemies but what he actually encountered was a poor little family mary and joseph who had brought the infant jesus to be dedicated at the temple an infant messiah It must have been as if Simeon was just starving, holding out his hand for food and yet receiving a little tomato seed instead. Yes, it will be food eventually, but there will have to be a long time of growing and developing and bearing fruit first. Simon realizes at this point the end of his life is probably near. He has seen the Messiah, at least in the technical sense, but will not likely see the day of the fulfillment of salvation, when wars would cease, when the hungry would be fed, when the homeless would be housed, when the sick would be healed, and when the dead would be raised. Now that's a Moses moment for you. Seeing eyes on the little Messiah child, and yet knowing that you probably will not be around when that Savior finishes salvation. I wonder how I would have responded in that moment. Simeon, though, does not fuss at the Holy Spirit and go back to bed feeling let down. Simeon does something absolutely incredible. He begins to sing in celebration, Lord, now you can let me go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My eyes have seen the dawn of salvation that you have prepared for all people. In this song, we hear that for Simeon, it is enough just to have seen the Christ child. It is enough just to have been part of this holy story for a mere moment. It is enough just to have the assurance that salvation is coming even if Simeon himself will be long gone when salvation is fully realized. You know, for many centuries now, even maybe over a thousand years, Christians have taken to singing Simeon's song right before bedtime, as well as singing it at funerals. They sing it because it's a song of assurance that while the work of life and faith is unfinished at the end of our day, or even at the end of our lives, our work has not been in vain. Because we know that we have already seen the dawn of God's salvation, and therefore we can trust that God will see that salvation through to the very, very end. Like a little seed, that plan of salvation dawned on Christmas Day. And while it's growing, it is not yet fully fulfilled. A colleague of mine shared a quote by the black theologian and civil rights leader Howard Thurman yesterday that expresses this just beautifully. Thurman writes this, When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, then the work of Christmas begins to find the lost to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, and to make music of the heart. That work began at Christmas, but it has not ended yet, these thousands of years later, and it will probably not end in our lifetime And unfortunately, plenty of people, maybe even us sometimes, have had a Moses moment when looking at these huge problems of poverty and warfare and say that these things can simply not be fixed. We are too weak. We are too divided, too poor, too old, too young, too helpless, too busy to see any of these things through so we don't even need to try. We just need to celebrate the day of Christmas without committing to the work of Christmas. That is one way to respond to the Moses moment. But Simeon shows us another way. To know that we are blessed to be a part of the Christmas work and that we have gifts to bring to it, even if we will not see it finally fulfilled in our lifetimes. We can feed hungry people, even if we cannot feed all of them yet. We can preach and speak peace to a world, even if others keep fighting. We can seek out the lost, even if we are not the ones to finally find them. Because we have seen the dawn of salvation in Jesus Christ, we can trust that God will bring about its completion, no matter what. It's in our time that we are called to the Christmas work, but it's in God's time that the work is accomplished. So like Simeon, don't get despairing when the day is over and the work isn't finished yet. Don't ever use that as an excuse to forfeit the work that you are called to do, but rather delight, as Simeon did, that we even have had a role to play in witnessing to God's salvation of the world, just like Moses and Miriam and Mary and Joseph before us, and like so, so many will do after us as the long unbroken chain of the work of faith. One final story. I was talking to Linda Welch a couple weeks ago about our dear friend and sister, Jane Sullivan, who had just died. Linda was reminding me that Jane had made many of the Afghan prayer shawls that we give to babies when they are born or baptized. Jane had a love of babies. Many of you remember that. If Jane wasn't in the kitchen working, chances are it was because she had her hands full with the baby. And Linda shared with me that upon going through Jane's house after her death, Her daughter found several unfinished prayer shawls that she had been working on when she died. Jane had carried on the work of Christmas to the very end of her life, even as she grew weaker and more frail. I don't know whether Jane had a Moses moment. I don't know how much she thought about those unfinished prayer shawls. I don't know that it ever occurred to her that she may not finish them or that it even mattered because she loved making them so much. But what I do know is this. Just a few days after Jane died, another one of our deacons, Tony LeVan, delivered one of Jane's prayer shawls to Valerie and Joe Freeman to be given to their new grandbaby, Wyatt. And so the work of Christmas continues. We who have seen the dawn of salvation at Christmas can live lives of faith doing the work of Christmas and trust that at the end of the day or at the end of our days, God's salvation will see be seen through by God until the whole world will be clothed with the garment of salvation. And no one will know hunger, pain, warfare, illness, or death. And until that day comes, or until our days have ended, either way, we have the work of Christmas to do. Amen. Thanks for listening. Remember, love God, love neighbor, love joy.